Tonight's lesson is lesson 21, Who Should We Follow? Continuing through the Three Angels series. And this is an important question. Who should we follow? Who do we follow? There's lots of voices. There's lots of characters. Revelation speaks about various characters who are begging for us or calling for us to follow them, such as the false prophet, the beast, the dragon, different voices in the book of Revelation. And then there's the voice of the humble lamb. And we want to explore who should we follow? Who do we follow? We want to learn from the Bible's teachings and from God's call in our lives regarding this. So we're going to jump into lesson 21 on that very question. Before we do, let's have a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for this evening and for this opportunity to study your word. We pray that you would lead us by your spirit and help us to understand the words of life, to be transformed by these words as we come near to you and as we are able to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We thank you, Lord, so much for your blessing in this, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have you ever followed somebody before that you really fancied, that you really liked? Have you ever just started following a person? Had any, any uh, um, maybe you were a fan for somebody, an idol or somebody that you followed? Was, was there anybody like that in your life at any point? I guess it could really happen to anyone, but um, sometimes maybe I would think that younger siblings might have more of a tendency to follow like, okay, well, there's an older sibling, so I'm going to follow them. Or, you know, there's all kinds of people, kind of persons in our lives, um, characters that we might be tempted to follow. Sometimes we, we fancy certain friends and we think, you know, I just want to kind of follow that person's lead in my life. Like you want to be like somebody and follow them. And that may be good or it may be really, really bad, <laughs> depending on who you're following and what you're following and, and what are your reasons, what are your limitations in that. There have to be limitations, obviously. So it's not always safe. And the other question is, is it safe to follow the example of everyone around us or anyone around us? Are either of those safe? If everybody around us is doing it, some people will say, must be the right thing, because a whole group of people is doing it, so it must be the right thing. Oh. Is that always true? No. no. That can't be the standard just because everybody's doing it. It, might, it will mean it's popular. It doesn't mean it's right, though. And then, I think obviously it, it comes about that you cannot just follow anyone. You must be very discerning. <laughs> okay, is this... Is this right or not? Is this good or not? Is it true or not? People are going all over the place in this world. Lots of dangerous and deadly places that people are going. So we must be very, very discerning in who we follow. So with those questions in mind, let's jump into our study questions here for tonight. And the first one is, how did some of the early Bible writers refer to Jesus? Let's take a look at Jeremiah 8 and verse 22. Jeremiah 8 and verse 22. We're going to see how all of this very much intersects with the three angels' messages as we continue through our study tonight. Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 2. No, 22. Sorry. 8, 22. Anyone have that for us? Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Thank you. So here we see the Bible writers referring to a great physician among the people of God and this balm in Gilead. This was a reference that was used towards Messiah, who was yet to come at this point in history when Jeremiah the prophet was writing. And basically asking the question, who can save my people? Who can heal my people? And it is the Lord himself who heals us. It is the Lord Himself who saves us. So we think about Him as the balm in Gilead. A balm heals. The physician who can heal. So we want to start thinking about God as our healer. God as our great leader. As our physician. And we're going to look at a couple other ways that 
the Lord was pictured or referred to. The next one is in Song of Songs. Song of Solomon, 5 and verse 10. Let's find out what the Bible says there. My lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Okay. So the fairest among 10,000. Outstanding among 10,000. So starting to think about how much should we appreciate God and know the Lord? If He's the fairest among 10,000, there's no one like Him. What about verse 13 and 16 in the same chapter? Do they tell us anything different or about the same? What do you get from those verses? His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers, his lips like lilies, grabbing sweet smelling myrrh. All right, and then verse 16. His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Now, Song of Songs is a love story. Solomon and his bride and wife, first was a bride, then became his wife. Uh, so that, that's in, in this story, but it parallels the story of Christ and the church. And so we're able to pick up some themes here of this complete devotion, this complete admiration, this complete and very deep love for one another. And this um, almost, almost um, possessive love, right? My beloved is mine. <laughs> So these are some of, the, some of the words and some of the phrases that are used. And when you think about God's, God's love and who He is and how we're called to love Him, it's very much expressed in this book. So the idea here is, is devotion and love and admiration and thinking about how we should think towards God, how we should feel towards God, how we are called to be devoted towards God. This is the loving relationship that God wants us to have with Him. And that's very important, isn't it? As a foundation for our relationship, you should have love. When we follow God, it should be because we love Him. And this love, this love and devotion, they go together. When you think about all these other voices in the book of Revelation calling us to follow here or follow there, and all of it is calling away from God. But God is calling us back to Himself. God is calling us to know Him, to love Him, to serve Him. So now when we look at the life and ministry of Jesus in John, not John, but uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, this is before Jesus got going, but there was something said about Jesus before he was born, Matthew 1, 21. What was that? Something about his mission is given here in Matthew 1, 21. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus because He will save His people from their sins. Thank you. So the mission of Jesus is to save His people from their sins. His name means Savior. And the name and the character and the mission are very important. They all go together. The name, the character, and the mission of Jesus, who He is, it's very important. The next question that we have is, why did so many people follow Jesus? What was it about Jesus that led people to want to follow Him? And we can find some clear scriptural answer here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 20, what was it, 23 to 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about Him spread all over Syria and people brought it to Him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain and demon possessed the epileptics or epileptics and the paralytics, and he held them. Large crowds from Galilee. They followed him, right? Does it say Galilee and then from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from beyond and Jordan? Another verse of mine. Yeah, it's 25. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, great multitudes followed him, right? So that was up to 25. Okay. So when we look at Jesus and the crowds that were following him, the many people that followed him, there were reasons why they followed him. Jesus reached their deepest felt needs. They, they wanted to be healed 
from their, from their sicknesses, from their possession, and from all kinds of things. People felt empty, and so when they saw that Jesus was healing folks, this made a lot of people very interested in him, very interested in his ministry. And so they began, they began following Jesus. And also, a number of these followers had their interest, their spiritual interests had been primed already through the ministry of John the Baptist. John the Baptist had prepared the way. And so we look at some of the reasons why people follow Jesus. Well, people follow Jesus because they believe that Jesus can provide something for them, that Jesus can take care of their needs, that Jesus can provide healing in their lives. And it's true, he can do all of those things and much more. Jesus can do much more. So these are the reasons why um, people started following Jesus. And when we look at some of the followers who, who came to follow him, especially his disciples, Peter and Andrew, how they started following him. I'm going to read here from verse 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus called them to, to follow. And he put it in a way that they could understand. They were fishers, and he said, I'll make you fishers of men. That you can go and gather people for my kingdom. And the Bible says that straightway they left their nets and they followed him. Verse 20. So they were willing to, to pay the price. To pay the price of following Jesus. Notice that they had a livelihood that they were used to. They had an occupation. They were fishers. And they had the equipment for it. They had the skills for it. This was a new venture that Jesus was offering them. It's something they didn't really know exactly. But Jesus was telling them, somehow I can use your skills over here. I can retrain you to do this. Instead of just catching fish in the sea, you're going to catch men. You're going to gather people for my kingdom. So this was, uh, you know, the call of Jesus. And they had answered that call to, to come and follow him. And they also knew the sacrifice of following him, that they would have to give up their occupation that they were familiar with, that they knew, and they would be doing some things that would be definitely new to them. Now we also see in verse 21 and 22 about some people who, other people who were called to follow him. Oh, I think actually this is a new chapter. Yeah, 8. Eight, Matthew 8, 21 and 22. Another man, one of his disciples, said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. All right, thank you. So, in this verse, we see that, that people, some people wanted to put other things before following Jesus. They said, Lord, I'll follow you, but please let me go and bury my father. And so this person was going to, you know, who knows when the guy was actually going to die. He may be around for who knows how long, but he said, first, I'll just go and bury my father. And once I take care of that in my life, then I will follow you. And Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. And he said, he said, follow me. So the call was to follow Jesus and not put something else or someone else before him. We're supposed to put Jesus first. Uh, some people might say, well, is that, you know, is that very sensitive of Jesus? You know, maybe he didn't understand this person's situation. Well, Jesus, first of all, knows the hearts very well. And the Lord is, he is sympathetic towards our needs. But the lesson that Jesus is bringing out here is that we are to put him first. We can't say, Lord, I'll follow you later. Lord, I'll follow you tomorrow. Let me just go do this first. The question is, are we willing to follow Jesus today? Why not follow Jesus now and then go and bury your father? Why, why wait to follow Jesus and say, I need to do this thing first before I can follow Jesus? Jesus is calling us to follow him today. Today, if we hear his voice, do not harden our heart, but follow him. So that is the call of Jesus, and we don't want to have any other concerns coming between us and Jesus. This is very important. We'll see how this theme builds here in Scripture. The next verse we want to look at is Matthew 9, 9. Did Matthew Levi put his job first or Jesus first? Matthew 9, 9. Who can read that for us? As Jesus went on from there, 
he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. All right. Matthew was very trained in receiving things, probably some kind of customer service. Um, although most people would say the tax collectors were mostly serving their interests and Rome's interests, not so much other people's interests, but he still had to deal with people somehow. So he, he was at least dealing with the public, a lot of different people. And he had a number of associates. Matthew Levi had a lot of associates, different people that he worked with that he knew. We see that later they, they had a meal together with Jesus. And we see that he was willing to give up his, his job and follow Jesus. That he didn't have to stay in his business occupation. Notice how Jesus called these people from the common walks of life. And he asked them, are you willing to give up that life to experience this life? And that's what God is asking us, right? Are you willing to give up that old life that you have known to follow me and do my will? This is the question that Jesus asks. Are we willing to follow him and put him above our job, our certainties, our everything that we're holding on to? Jesus is asking us that question. Now, the next question that we want to clarify is, does Jesus really understand what it means to suffer pain, loss of friendship, and basically just to be a human? Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Does Jesus really understand our our needs. For this reason he had to be, be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. All right, thank you. So Jesus is able to help those who are being tempted because he experienced temptations. He experienced trials. The Bible says that he was made like unto us. He became one of us so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. This is important to understand that God cares about us, that Jesus cares about us, and that Jesus understands us. That Jesus became one of us. He, he knows what it's like to live and walk among us. He knows what it's like to live as a human being. That is very important to, to have clear in our minds, uh, to understand who God is and that He cares and that He knows us. He understands our struggles. Because when we are called to follow Jesus, we do face challenges in this life, don't we? We do face struggles and difficulties and questions to ask. And we have to know, does God understand our situation? Does God care about us? Does He care about our needs? And the answer is very much, yes, He does. He understands way more than we think, way more than we realize. He understands. And, and so that's important to definitely keep in mind. Our next question for the lesson tonight is, did Jesus promise it would always be easy to follow him on this earth? Let's take a look at John 16, 33. John 16, 33. Did Jesus say, come to me and you'll be on the easy road? <laughs> What did he say in that verse? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Amen. So Jesus tells us that he's spoken these things to us so that in him we might have peace. That's good news. That in Jesus we can have peace. But that doesn't mean that we will be without troubles in this life. Because he follows up those words, saying that we'll have peace in him, telling us that we'll have trouble in the world. That's what it says there in the verse, isn't it? In the world you will have tribulation or trouble, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So Jesus overcame. Jesus was in the world, but not of the world. And Jesus overcame the world. And we are in the world. We are called to be not of the world. And we're also called to overcome, just like Jesus overcame. So we will face difficulties, but at the same time, the Lord will be with us. The Lord will give us peace that passes understanding. Let's take a look at Luke 9, 23 and 24 as our next scripture. Who can read that for us? 
Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Okay. Huh. The words of Jesus that are maybe not the most easy to think about especially if we were trying to retain self and retain our own ways and say, well, I'm just going to you know, kind of follow Jesus and get the benefits, but I'm not really going to follow him all the way. That's where you're going to have trouble. If we want to halfway follow Jesus, but we don't really want to follow Jesus like all the way, we're going to have a lot of troubles doing that because it will not be easy at all. <laughs> That's going to be very difficult. And in fact, it's really an impossibility. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one or the other. We've got to make a choice. Who are we going to follow? Who are we going to surrender to? And so in these verses, Jesus tells us that we are called to take up the cross. He says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself. There's a key phrase, deny himself. Self-denial is part of the, the message of Christ, the message of the cross, self-denial. Did Jesus deny himself? when he came onto this, into this world. Oh, yes. Yeah, he did. And then he suffered for us. He denied himself a lot. Because who is he? He's, he's God. He's the Son of God, right? And so he deserves all the praise and adoration of heaven. But Jesus denied himself and came into this world and suffered with us. So Jesus says, if you want to follow me, then you need to deny yourself. Just like Jesus denied himself and came into this world. We are choosing to follow Jesus. So he says here, look, if you want to follow me, then deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Jesus bore the cross all the way to Calvary for us, didn't he? Jesus bore the cross and that wasn't easy. And Jesus had the burden of, of God's work on his heart every day of his life, really, since, since a young age when he understood his mission. Twelve, 12 years old, we see clearly he understood his mission already. And Jesus, he had that, that mission always in his mind, that, that he needed to accomplish this great work to share the gospel. So that verse is a powerful reminder of the, the life of Jesus, the focus of Jesus, and how he's calling us, if we want to follow him, then we need to follow him in this way. We need to come to him and deny ourselves and take up our cross, not just once, and then forget about it and say, well, I tried that, but it was too heavy, so I left it at home. <laughs> well, that's not what Jesus says, because he says every day, right? Daily, take up the cross and follow me. So every day of our lives, we must carry the cross. We must bear the cross. We must follow Jesus. We must be on this mission. And that's a choice every day, isn't it? It's not an accident that we bring a cross along. If you bring a cross along, that's intentional. There's a plan, there's a reason, and you made some decisions that day to pick up the cross and to carry the cross. And so Jesus is calling us, he says, look, deny self, take up your cross daily, and follow me. And then he says in verse 24, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And he's talking about people choosing to live a self-serving life, a selfish life. Whoever wants to save their life, their way, their things, they want to do it their own way, have it their own way, well, Jesus says you're going to lose your life. You try to save your life, but you're going to lose your life. So we are called to surrender our life, surrender our hearts to God, and put Him first. Love the Lord, serve Him, and ultimately, we'll be saved for eternity because life comes from God who is the life giver. Do we believe that? Do we receive that in our lives? So the next question or thought here is number seven on our notes. It says, even though it's hard sometimes, is it still worth it to follow Jesus all the way? And we have a verse to look at, Romans 8, 18. Romans 8, verse 18. Even though we face difficulties, is it still worth it? Who can read that for us? I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Thank you. 
So, he reckons that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's reassuring that the sufferings that we go through, the hardships, the difficulties, we may say, oh, this is difficult. Oh, I'm having a hard time. And the Lord says, God's Word says, you know what? The sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared. When we see how wonderful eternity is, when we see how wonderful heaven really is and being in God's presence forever, we'll say, heaven is cheap enough. It was so worth it, right? Whatever we you know, went through, whatever challenges in this life, choosing Christ was the best decision we could ever make. Choosing to know the Lord, to love the Lord, to serve the Lord was the best decision that we could ever possibly make. We'll realize that when we get there. And even before that, we can realize it. We can start to realize and see, wow, you know what? The Lord is good. Because the Bible does say, taste and see that the Lord is good. And God is good. He's good all the time. And we want to follow God. We want to know His love and experience His love in our lives. So definitely, the sufferings of this present life are not, not even close to the glory and beauty of heaven. So um, it's all worth it. Heaven is cheap enough is the phrase that comes to mind about that verse. The next question here is, who is the head and foundation of God's church? Let's take a look at Ephesians 5.23. We've been looking at the cost of following the Lord Jesus, and now we're going to look at some of the parameters of calling, following the Lord Jesus. Who do we follow? Ephesians 5.23. How do we follow the Lord? Who can read that? For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. All right. Thank you. So Christ is the head of the church. Jesus is the head. Now, remember our, our whole lesson, the question of our lesson is, who should we follow? So the Bible says that Christ is the head of the church. He's the head of it. And we're going to look at who's the foundation of it. Who is the head of the church? Christ is the head of the church. When we ask the question of following, we want to make sure that we're following the one that we should follow. And we're not following somebody else instead of the one that we should follow. So the Bible says that, that Christ Jesus is the head of the church. Now, 1 Corinthians 3.11, what does that say? No one can lay any foundations other than the one already laid which is Jesus Christ. All right, thank you. So who is the foundation now of the church? That's Jesus Christ, isn't it? Nobody can lay any other foundation than Jesus Christ. So Christ is the head of the church, and he's also the foundation for the church and the foundation for our faith. Now, let's take a look at Matthew 16 for a minute in verse 18 to 19, because some people say that there's a different head of the church that we should follow. Let's take a look at what it says. Matthew 16, 18 through 19. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Okay, thank you very much. So in this passage, um, this, is, this is actually the, the passage that has, is at the foundation of the Church of Rome, and they teach that Peter is the first pope, and that Peter is the rock, and that the church is built on Peter, the rock, uh, because the word Peter is Petros, or Petra, it's a, it's a rock, or a stone. Cephas was another name for him, which means stone. And, uh, and so the people think that, oh, well, you know, Peter has the keys to the kingdom, and Peter is the rock. Well, Jesus was using a play on words here, first of all, because who is the real rock? Who is the real stone? Isn't Jesus described as a rock? The rock of our salvation throughout the Old Testament, he's described that way. In Daniel chapter 2's prophecy, there's a kingdom that comes and it's represented by what? 
a big rock, a big stone. This big stone comes and strikes the image on the feet and shatters it and becomes a great mountain that fills the whole earth. And Jesus says, uh, whoever this stone falls on, it will grind into powder. But whoever falls on this stone is, and is broken, then he'll be saved. And so Jesus was referring to himself. He is that rock. He is that stone. So Jesus was saying, look, Peter, you're a rock, you're a stone, but I'm telling you on this rock, I will build my church. And he was pointing to himself. He's describing himself. How do we know that Jesus is the rock that the church is built on? Well, we know it because number one, we just already read that Jesus is the, he is the foundation, isn't he? And we're going to see another phrase where the Bible tells us clearly that he's the chief cornerstone. So Jesus is the chief cornerstone. We find that in Ephesians chapter 2. And the Bible says that no one can lay any other foundation than Jesus Christ. And you might ask the question, well, how is it that Jesus gives to Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven? Well, what are the keys to the kingdom of heaven? Is Peter the one determining who's going to go in and out of heaven? Is that Peter's job to determine? Some people, some people today will argue, oh yes, Peter... Peter had those keys. Well, Peter had the keys, but the key was not Peter. And it was not just Peter's mere discretion. It was God's discretion. So, what is the way to heaven? The Bible tells us in John 14, 6 that Jesus is. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So, how do you get to the Father? Is it through Peter or is it through Jesus? Through Jesus. Because Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. He's the only way to come to the Father. So when, when Jesus says, look, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom, the keys are the gospel. The keys, that's the message of Jesus. This is what is being pointed out, that Jesus is the way of salvation, and to Peter and, of course, the apostles and the church was being entrusted the gospel message, the good news of salvation. And when he gets into... You know, talking about this question of whatsoever you will bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, um, and whatsoever you will loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is talking about such as church discipline in Matthew 18, that that God works with His church, and you know the Lord, the Lord. Yes, He He wants us to make decisions on things, but He gives us the principles by which to make decisions. God is not going to condone sin or anything like that. Right? Is this making sense so far? Yes. You have a question there? No? I just never quite understood that. Yeah. Whatever you bind on the I know, me too. I've had trouble with that. Right. Um, you know, it's something that we could look at more closely, probably in more detail in another study. But as my understanding is that it's looking at things that are already already bound in heaven or already understood in heaven. Basically, the church is simply affirming something that is is a decision that God is in line with, okay? The church is called to, to look at those principles that God has given. And when you follow the counsel of Matthew 18, that's a, that's a very similar parallel passage um, to this. In fact, we can look at that, but before we do, I want to look at one more verse in this chapter. And this is the question of, was Peter infallible? That's the first question we need to ask here before we leave Matthew 16. Verse 23, can you read that, somebody? Matthew 16:23 Jesus turned and said to Peter, "Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men." Okay. So, the question, was Peter infallible? No. <laughs> no. And some people will say, "Well, you know, but maybe after Jesus went to went to heaven, then maybe Peter became infallible." There's no record of Peter becoming infallible. Actually, there's a record in the New Testament of Peter getting into trouble with the Apostle Paul having to rebuke him because Peter was doing the wrong thing in the book of Acts. He got into trouble. And so you ask the question, was he infallible? No, he was a human being. He could fall. And so this idea of papal infallibility is, is not scriptural. Right? It is not scriptural because it's, it's a human you know, traditions. And we have to understand this because we don't, again, we don't want to follow the wrong person or the wrong power. We are called to follow Jesus Christ, who is the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. 
and Jesus Christ who is the foundation for the church. Ephesians 2 verses 20 and 21 describe Jesus as the chief cornerstone and this building of the, the church, the temple being built around Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Can someone read Ephesians 2 verse 20 and 21 please? Built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Okay, so we have the foundation of uh, the apostles and prophets, but the chief cornerstone of that foundation is Jesus Christ. You notice it did not say it was Peter, it said it's Jesus Christ who is the chief cornerstone. So when we're talking about the stone, the rock, the rock that we really want to follow is Jesus Christ. And there are other examples in the wilderness when they were coming out of Egypt that the Bible says there was a rock and that rock sent out water. And the Bible says in the New Testament that rock was Christ. That it represents that Jesus Christ is giving us the water of life. Jesus Christ is giving us the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So we, we find that reference in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 and 2 and following. Um, that's where, where we find that, that Jesus is the rock. So, so in multiple places of Scripture, we find that Jesus is the rock. We see that Peter was in fact fallible. Peter did in fact make mistakes. He was not the one that the church was built on. The church is built on Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. Uh, we want to make sure that that is clear in our minds. Now, to answer the other question that you, you guys had on Matthew 16, we're going to look for just a moment at Matthew 18. Matthew 18 describes how the believers had to deal with a brother who was trespassing. And we find here from from verse 15 of chapter 18 and following, the Bible says, Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. Verse 16, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. So, taking witnesses. And then, Verse 17, who can read verse 17 for us? If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. All right, thank you. So, if he neglects to hear the church, right? So the Bible talks about this principle of escalation. That if we have a problem with somebody, that we can go directly to them. We can talk with them about it. Try to get it worked out. Instead of what we may feel tempted to do, which is we're going to go over here and gossip about it. Hey, so-and-so did this. You know, <laughs> the Bible says don't do that. It says go directly to somebody if you have a situation. And then it tells us that we are to, if they don't listen and it doesn't seem to be fruitful, then go get another person as a witness. Come and then meet together and try to resolve it. And if that doesn't work, then it says, then you can take it to the church. And so here the Bible talks about the church meeting together and disciplining. And it says, if he does not listen to the church, then let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican. In other words, God has given uh, discernment to his church, right? God has given discernment to his people collectively. And God is calling his church to be able to, to deal with certain things collectively, having the spirit of God present in their hearts, right? Um, this is not telling us that we can go and follow human ways and exalt our own opinions and depart from the Bible and then vote it and God will, God will bless it. No. <laughs> okay, you have to be in line with the Bible. Okay, you have to follow what the Scripture says. So the context here is, is in the context of following what the Scripture says, not following our own human ways and those kinds of things. Because some people say, well, look, we're going to have a church council and if we all agree on it, then we're good to go even if we disagree with God's Word. That's not the case. See, that's not the case, because we have to follow what God's Word says. This is only in that context of following what God's Word says. So the next verse there says this. And I hope this will clarify your question more. Verse 18, it says, Verily I say unto you, whosoever ye sh Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Isn't that what we just read in the other chapter? 
when, he, when Jesus was talking to Peter and, yeah, the apostles. Verse 19 says, Again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And we always use that usually in the context of prayer meeting, and I believe it, it applies there, doesn't it? It is true there, it applies. But, you know, the immediate context of that is that the church has the ability to come together and pray about things and follow Scripture together and discern what is the right way by God's leading and then make a decision. And God, you know, God upholds that, that it was made in good faith, that we're seeking the Lord, that we want to follow His Word, that we're surrendered to God, we're trying to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So, so God, you know, recognizes and, you know, when there's a decision, it's, it's understood in heaven. God accepts that we're trying to work with Him and we're, we're following His, his uh, instruction, His leading, His Word. We're simply trying to work out what His Word has already told us to do, right? So that is the context that that is to be understood in. Does that make sense? We're talking about church discipline because Peter and the apostles had to deal with some of that, okay? Um, the church is, as a body of believers, is very important. It's supposed to be the temple for the Lord's Spirit. Jesus Christ is the head. Jesus Christ is the foundation of His church. Jesus is the chief cornerstone for His church. We are to follow Jesus and His words. And Jesus does give us the keys to the kingdom. And the, the keys are the gospel. The keys is Jesus Christ. So that's the context here. We, we, can't take that, we can't take that so far to say that, oh, we can do whatever we want and heaven's going to ratify it. No, that's not what Jesus is saying in these verses, but that's how it has been perverted to kind of mislead a lot of people. So they're following a church organization that claims to follow Christ, but they really are choosing to do their own thing. And they're, they're exalting man's opinion above God's word. That is a dangerous place to be. And we want to make sure that we you know, fully understand these scriptures. So that brings us now to Revelation 14 and verse 4. This is the chapter that contains the three angels' messages, and it describes the people who are following the Lord and who are proclaiming the three angels' message or messages. It says in verse 4 of chapter 14, a major characteristic of these people. Who can read that for us? These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. Okay, thank you very much. So the Bible describes these people, and later, or actually earlier in this chapter, it mentions them as the 144,000. So they're described that way in verse 3. But it says, These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. And some people will say, oh, well, you know, they are maybe literal virgins and they're literal Jews. <laughs> and yet what the Bible says is if we believe in Christ, we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. New Testament Israel, Galatians 3.29, describes the believers in Christ Jesus as belonging to Israel, as receiving the covenant promises through Abraham. And so this is, you know, God's people. And it's not talking about literal virgins, and it's not talking about not being defiled with literal women. Revelation is a highly symbolic book. Revelation is filled with symbols throughout the book. Revelation presents two different women that have very different characteristics. In chapter 17, you have a harlot woman who defiles. An immoral woman defiles, but a virtuous woman will not defile. The Bible says in Proverbs 31 that the heart of her husband does safely trust in her, that her price is far above rubies because she's a virtuous woman. She will not defile, but the immoral woman will defile. These ones are not defiled with women because they do not follow, follow those kinds of women who defile. Okay? They, um, they only follow Christ. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. And if the Lamb says, hey, this is my church, they will go there. Right? They will follow where Jesus leads. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. The Lamb is Jesus. When we look at the story of the church in Revelation chapter 12, we see this pure woman. And the Bible says that 
she keeps the commandments of God, and she has the testimony of Jesus. That's Revelation 12, verse 17. Okay, the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. And so we see an obedient woman who is faithful to the Lord Jesus instead of a woman who's immoral in chapter 17, a harlot woman. And the Bible says that Babylon is the mother of harlots. Remember also that Babylon is part of the three angels' message, isn't it? The three angels' messages. Babylon is fallen. The second angel is fallen. Do not follow Babylon, the mother of harlots, and of course her harlot daughters who are unfaithful. The Bible is telling us that these people here that, that hold and bear and proclaim the three angels' messages, the Bible says that they follow the Lamb Jesus wherever He goes. They are not defiled with women. So, my question to you, should you follow a church that says that we should disobey God's Word? Or should you follow Jesus Christ and His commandments? We'll follow Jesus Yes, right? Jesus Christ and His commandments. Because when we look at the end of the three angels' messages, it tells us in verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. All right. Yes. Amen. So we have the faith of Jesus and we keep the commandments of God. And we follow Jesus the Lamb wherever He leads us. That is the main characteristic that God is looking for in us, that He wants us to be those who follow Him wherever He goes. And so that's the question. Whatever the cost is, we need to follow Jesus and not follow some corrupt kind of powers. The next question has to do with family or friends. And this is Matthew 10, verse 34 through 38. Matthew 10, verse 34 through 38. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his, her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Mercy. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Yes. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much. So Jesus tells us here that if we follow somebody else instead of him, then we're not worthy of him. And he says that he comes to bring not just peace on the earth, but a sword. And you're like, what? Jesus is bringing a sword? Yes, a sword causes division. Cuts things in half, doesn't it? <laughs> Sword causes division. And so that's what Jesus says. He says, look, I'm coming to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And it's like, Jesus, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to start a war? No, he's not trying to start a war. There's already a war going on. There's already a war between good and evil. But the problem is, if we're all following evil, then we think, hey, we're all on the same side here. But if somebody wants to follow righteousness and other people want to follow evil, then suddenly we're not on the same side anymore. <laughs> suddenly we're not friends anymore because you want to follow Jesus and somebody else does not want to follow Jesus. So that means that even in homes, there can be a gospel-divided home because we want to follow Jesus and His truth and somebody else doesn't want to follow Jesus and His truth. And they may not like it when you, when you assert your convictions that you say, you know what, I don't want to do that because that's not what God says in the Bible. Uh, I don't want to do that because that's not what Jesus teaches me to do. And so when people see your convictions, sometimes that, that creates situations. Not everybody is favorable to that. And so, yes, we have to understand that there is a gospel division, but it's a good division because God is trying to uh, save us from evil. He's trying to purify people to follow Him, and we cannot put family relations above Jesus Christ. So these are some of the questions we have to start asking when it comes to following God, following the Lord. And, you know, the first one is, can, um, you know, family or friends persuade us not to follow Jesus? They should not be able to. Can, what's that? They try. They try, don't they? Yeah, they try, and that, that can be difficult. Isn't that difficult when... Yeah, people will try to, 
try to talk you out of following Jesus, try to persuade you away from following Jesus. And so Jesus says, you know, you've just got to make a choice. Is it going to be following me or is it going to be following them? Like we just have to make a choice. Who will we follow? Who will we follow? The other one here is, um, you know, what we, what we looked at before was, could churches persuade us not to follow Jesus? Because there are some churches that will try to keep you from following Jesus. Like if the Bible says that, they say, well, you don't have to follow that. You don't have to believe what the Bible says there. You know, they have all kinds of excuses where churches try to persuade people to not follow Jesus, to not follow the Bible. And that seems like counter, you know, counter the whole point, right? Because isn't the whole point to follow Jesus? Yes. And churches that proclaim Jesus even, unfortunately, they don't all want to follow Jesus. They want to follow some things that Jesus said, but they don't want to follow everything that Jesus said. And so that's the pressure. That's how deceptive the devil is, is he tries to get, you know, even church organizations to mislead us. And then family and friends to mislead us. And so Jesus says, look, you have got to make a decision. You've got to. And it says, a man's foes will be they of his own household. If you love father and, more, father and mother more than me, then you're not worthy of me. Or son and daughter more than, more than me, you're not worthy of me. So we cannot follow those other people, uh, those other things. We need to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Um, it says, if he does not take his cross and follow after me, he's not worthy of me. So Jesus wants us to make a very strong decision for him, doesn't he? Right? A very, very strong decision. And in fact, if you think about it, the greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. That's not just a little bit. That's not just wear Jesus on my sleeve and then take him off at night and then go do whatever I want to do. No. Um, the Bible says that we need to love God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And he must be first place in our lives. First place above everything and everyone. The next question is, can loss of worldly riches persuade us not to follow Jesus? Matthew 16, 26. What does that say? Matthew 16, 26. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Okay. So what can you give in exchange for your soul? What will you be profited if you gain the whole world? Maybe you have a profitable business. You're making lots of money. Maybe you have a great career. You're making lots of money. But what if that career is demanding you to disobey God's commandments? To work on the day when God said to rest? What if they're telling you to do that? Are we going to follow them anyway? What if, what if all that time and attention and devotion for those money and for that cause is pulling you away from spending time with Jesus and doing the mission of Jesus Christ. That you don't have time to, to read your Bible and pray, time for devotions, and they're, they're asking you to sacrifice your principles of godliness. Like, well, that's your religion. You just do what you want in your own time, but when you're here, you follow our way. You don't have to follow what the Bible says if your boss is saying that at work. That's pretty dangerous, isn't it? Because we are called to be consistent Christians. Wherever we are, we're not different between home and church and work and wherever we are. We have to be the same, true and faithful to Jesus Christ. The Lord is calling us to be true and faithful. So gaining the whole world, getting a bunch of money, having that high paying job, if it is causing you to, to sacrifice Jesus, it's not worth it. Jesus says, you know what? You better give it up. Money cannot persuade us. It should not persuade us away from following Jesus. We have to be true and faithful to Jesus no matter what. Notice now Matthew 19 and verse 29. I will read this one. Matthew 19 verse 29 and the Bible says here, and everyone that has forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Isn't that beautiful? that even if we lose our jobs here, we lose family members here, Jesus says, I'm going to give you a whole lot more. Maybe you lose your lands here, earthly riches, house gets taken away. A lot of Christians who are faithful got their houses taken away, got their properties taken away. It's happened in the past. Is it going to happen again? Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, Revelation says you won't be able to buy or sell. Talk about the mark of the beast, angel number three. We're going to be studying that really soon in an upcoming lesson, right? So all those things, they try to take it away. And that's the question. Are we willing to give up houses and lands? Are we willing to give up the money in the bank account? Are we willing to give up our job, family and friends, all those things in the world? Are we willing to put Jesus as number one in our life? That is the question. Will we put Him as number one? Follow the Lamb, Jesus, wherever He goes. Yes, this is the call that God has. And so we don't want to be induced away from following the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, can a society or multitudes persuade us not to follow Jesus? The Bible says in Revelation that the whole world follows the beast. And they try to push you into following the beast. And God is saying, no, don't follow that. Um, Hebrews 10, 32 and 33, what does that say? Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. Yeah, a lot of people were suffering. Christians in the first century here, it says that they, when they first were illumined, when they first learned the truth, uh, they were made a gazing stock. They were given, they were reproached. They were given afflictions, um, and they became friends of those who were used to that, <laughs> who suffered afflictions for Christ. That was the early church experience. But you know, the Bible says, "Do not follow a crowd to do evil." That's Exodus twenty-three two. Do not follow a crowd to do evil. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And how many people enter through that? Many. Many enter through that. And then he said, narrow is the road that leads to life. And how many find that? Few. Few. So can you justify and say, well, I see a whole bunch of people doing it this way. They claim to believe the Bible. They claim to follow Jesus. And they're doing this. So it must be right, right? <laughs> no. Just because a bunch of people are doing it doesn't mean it's right. And the Bible says that we are not to follow a crowd to do evil. Don't follow a multitude to do evil. Because guess what? The whole world is going to follow the beast in the last days. Revelations 3 angels warn not to follow the beast or receive the mark of the beast or worship the image of the beast. We're going to be looking at those lessons in particular coming up very soon in our series together. And uh, the Bible is telling us, look, don't follow the world. The majority is going to be wrong in the last days. That's true, isn't it? Because basically all the world follows the beast. Majority will be wrong. Only a few will be right. Narrow is the way that leads to life. Sometimes people will say, oh, you're too narrow. You're too limited. Why do you follow that way? right? <laughs> You're too narrow. You say, well, good. I'm glad. Because Jesus says the way is narrow. <laughs> the way is narrow. So we have to follow what Jesus says in the Bible. Follow the example of Jesus. Don't follow the ways of men. The next question from, this comes from Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11. Can threat of, threat of death persuade us not to follow Jesus? Or, Yes, thank you. Revelation 12:11 says, "And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death." So in the last days, when the death threat comes, the Bible talks about that in the three angels' messages that the, in Revelation 13 that if you don't follow the beast and take his mark, then you will die. So the question comes back to us, what's more important? Is Jesus more important than life on this earth? Yes. Did Jesus give his life for our lives? Yes. He did. If Jesus was willing to give his life for us, are we willing to surrender our life into his hands and say, Lord, if I die following you, I want to be faithful anyway, right? Are we willing to come down to that? Because a lot of Christians have had to make that decision over the years. They've had to make that decision. Either, either be faithful to Jesus uh, and die or compromise my faith. And they chose, you know what, I'd rather die 
I'd rather die. It's like, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said, King, we're not careful to answer you. We're not going to bow down and worship that idol, even if you have to kill us. If you're going to throw us in that fiery furnace, we believe God can, and we believe God will deliver us, but even if God does not deliver us, we still will not bow down. That's a very powerful statement that those Hebrew worthies made. And that's found in Daniel chapter 3. And that story helps us prepare for the end times, for the last day events that Revelation describes. So that is a very important story. We're, we're winding up to a close here. We've got just a couple verses left. Matthew 4.4, 4, what does Jesus say when it comes to following Him? From the mouth of God. Yes. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So how do we follow Jesus? Well, we must follow His word. Right? We must follow what God says in the Bible. That's the right way. Jesus, when He overcame the devil, He said, It is written, it is written, it is written. The question, what saith the Scripture, is very important. What does the Bible say? We must follow the prophets of God. And ultimately, we'll be judged by the Word of God in the last days. Isn't that true? The Bible says we'll be judged by what God says. John 12, 48. And then we'll go to the last part of John to close up. Who, who has John 12, 48? He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. Oh, we shall be judged by God's word. Okay, so if we reject Jesus and we reject his what? Word. His word. If we don't receive his word, and then it says that we have one who judges us, the word that I have spoken, the same will judge him in the last day. So will Jesus hold us accountable based on his word, based on the Bible? It's not what man says. It's not what some church says. The question is, what does Jesus say? What does the Bible say? Right? All those friends, those family members that we answer to, those people who, who question us and try to pry us and pull us this way and pull us that way, Jesus says, you know what? Do you follow my word? That's the question we're going to get asked. Jesus will ask, why did you do that? And the answer better be, well, Lord, because you said in your word. Not because, well, so-and-so was doing it. Um, they told me at church I could do it. My pastor said I could do it. My friends told me to do it. My boss at work told me to do it. My brother, my sister. Yeah, my brother, my sister, so many people. Jesus says, look, I didn't ask about that. He said, I asked you to do my word, what I said. So who do we follow? Do we follow Jesus or do we follow so-and-so or so-and-so or another so-and-so? We need to follow Jesus wherever he goes. Whatever he says, his word will judge us in the last days. And the next, the next uh, question and thought will come from John 21 verse 21 and 22 and it says it says are you worried about family and friends how can you help family and friends who do not know the truth yet john 21 verse 21 peter seeing him saith to jesus lord and what shall this man do jesus saith unto him if i will that he tarry till i come what is that to thee follow thou me thank you very much so Jesus was telling Peter what he would go through, that he'd, he'd have a hard time. Jesus was telling Peter. And then Peter looked over at his brother. He looked over at this man, this other man there, and he said, Okay, Lord, but what is he going to do? What's this man going to do? And Jesus said, Well, if I will that he tarries till I come, what is that to thee? Okay. If you have to go to the cross, Peter, and he doesn't have to go to the cross, what is that to you? Right. He says, Number one, follow me. Jesus says, follow me. Okay? Sometimes we're thinking, well, what about my neighbor? Do they have to do this? Jesus says, follow me. If I asked you to do this, you better do it. Because <laughs> who are we following? Too often we play the game, well, so-and-so said, or so-and-so did this, so it must be okay. I can get away with it too. No. <laughs> you want to follow what Jesus, what Jesus said. Follow the leading of Jesus.
That is the call of the Lord. And the very, very last one is Isaiah 41.10. Who is going to give us the strength to stand for God? Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen thee, I will help thee, I will uphold thee with you. For the right hand of my righteousness. Amen. That's, yeah, you got it. Between those two versions, you got it. <laughs> so, yeah. So the Lord is saying, look, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. We need strength to overcome these challenges in the last days. And thank God that he has promised the strength. All the resources of heaven will not be withheld to help you and me stand up for him and be faithful in these last days. To be faithful against all the pressures of society and money and family and everything else to be faithful to Jesus and follow His Word. God says, do not fear. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you. These are the promises of God. And so the final question is, are you willing to follow Jesus wherever He goes? Wherever He leads? Yeah, let's follow the Lord Jesus wherever He is leading us. Whatever He says in the Word, let's do that and give glory to God. So... Why don't we have a word of prayer as we finish up here together. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for your wonderful love. Thank you for your blessings and your truth. Thank you for the words of Jesus that remind us what it means to be faithful, that we are called to follow you and not the crowd. We are called to follow you and not our neighbor and not family members and other voices at work or the demands of money in society. Lord, we are called to follow you. And today we choose to follow you. We want to follow you and surrender our hearts, our minds, our lives to you, Lord, so that we can be those who follow the Lamb, Jesus, wherever he goes, that we will not let any human being's voice stand in place of the voice of Jesus. Lord, may we learn your word. As Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written. Let us go by your word, the Holy Bible, by the things that you have said, which will judge us in the very last days. Lord, we have to answer to you for our faith, for our choices, for our, our decisions, our actions. We must answer to you and to your word, which has been written for us, which has been given to us. We want to follow what the Bible says and not what everyone else is saying. So please guide us, Lord, that we would hear your word and receive your word and obey your word because we love you and we have faith in you. Thank you, Lord, for the strength that you give us to stand true in spite of all the pressures in the last days to follow other things. Thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.